This morning, we're going to be, um, we're going to be seeing some baptisms. Now, I want to explain what we're going to be doing today so that you have a clear understanding. We've been given a commission in Matthew 28 that says that we are to go and we are to make disciples. And immediately after that, it says that we are to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all that I have commanded. So this morning, as you see the baptisms, you're going to see it as a result of discipleship that has taken place in the lives of individuals. Sometimes that discipleship comes with a father with his son. Sometimes that discipleship comes with a sister coming alongside of her other sisters. And so there's relationship in connection to baptism. And so this morning, this might be a little bit different than your tradition. A lot of times you see just pastors baptizing. But since there's actually no mandate that says a pastor must baptize, we thought we would associate it with the discipleship that takes place. And so this morning, as you watch the disciple, as you watch baptisms, you'll see fathers baptizing their kids. You'll see sisters baptizing their sisters. You will see this in the context of relationship. And this is meant to be a public testimony of what Jesus has done, their death, their burial, their resurrection, and new life in Christ. our Savior. How, how'd that happen? What happened after Jesus died on the cross? He was Have you sinned? Yes. Have I sinned? Yes. Yeah, we've all sinned, right? We can be forgiven for our sins. of life. My name is Ashley Adams and I was, I accepted Jesus Christ in my heart when I was around seven with my mom and um, I'm here today because I want to be baptized and show my friends and family that I'm a Christian. Um, I want my friends to know that if they don't, they're going to go someplace bad. And it's not my decision, it's theirs, and that Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose again three days later. Actually, your mom and I are very proud of you that you decided to do this today. So, your testimony, your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. I was baptized as a baby. I was raised Catholic, and as I have grown um, being Christian, I have, I have learned through my children, actually, that this is the best way to do it, when you really know what you're doing and know what you want to do and know who you want to be, and um, I want to be the best example that I could be for my family, um, for my children, and um, I believe with all of my heart that Jesus is my Savior, that He died for us and was raised again and I want to um, I want to be able to share that be a light and um, just love on the world in his name our Stephanie upon your profession of faith I baptize you in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit or six and my brother and I were talking 
talking about it, and and he told me that I should, and so I I did it, and this is why I'm getting that's why I'm getting baptized t- today, and why I'm getting baptized is because Jesus died on the cross for us, and he rose again three days later. upon your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My name's Tyler Sutton. Um, I guess I've always known Christ. I grew up going to church with my family, just a little kid, you know, but kind of ventured away from that, getting busy how it is when you do a lot of activities and you have three siblings. (laughs) Um, So we started going going to different churches when I was in college, me and my siblings. Um, And I kind of, towards my senior year of college, I I didn't know what I wanted to do or where I wanted to go or where I wanted to apply. And I always came back to praying about it. And I'm like, why have I not been doing this all along? You know, I go to church and and we kind of went to gypsy churches all over the place. I never found one that was home. So when Brian was preaching a couple weeks ago about baptism, my sister and I just kind of looked at each other and went, let's do this. <laughs> so so that's kind of where I'm at. My decision to, to really dedicate my life to following Jesus. I've decided to accept Jesus as my personal savior. I believe that he died on the cross and rose again on the third day to forgive my sins. And I want to follow him. All right, based on your profession of faith, Tyler, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. a little bit about my story. Um, I've been fortunate enough to always pretty much know Christ. Um, When we were younger, we were very involved with church and um, kind of lost my way a little bit when I was in college. It was a little harder to go to church because I lived an hour away from home. So um, toward the end of my college career, I decided that I wanted to start going a lot more. And we had gone to a few churches in the North Canton area, but we never really found one that was home. And when we found Mission View, it kind of, it felt right. It felt like it was time for you know me to make that commitment. And um, Brian was preaching about that. And my, like my sister said, um, we looked at each other the other day and we're kind of just like, it's time, let's do it. And um, so we're really excited about it. And I'm, I'm really excited about this new journey. So I'm excited to accept Christ as my personal savior and to know that he died and rose on the third day for my sins, and I'm really excited to share that with everyone and for it to be a new chapter in my life. Based on your profession of faith, Kaya, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My name is Don Barton. I was born and raised in a large family, youngest of eight children. I asked Jesus into my heart when I was five years old, and I don't know if I, I, I didn't live most of my life following Christ. No, I don't really know if I knew what it was all about. I kind of more or less did it to please the adults, the pastor. But when I started at Maranatha Bible Church, a friend of mine who had gone to high school with Dean Kleinus goes, Donnie, I think you believed, but I don't think you moved it the 18 inches into your heart. So I asked Jesus into my heart then. And at that point, he gave me a passion, but now I have to love him before his word. And from that point on, to Lord of my life, and I want to follow him in the waters of baptism, be obedient to him in every aspect of my life. I love him, and I just... Praise him and I want to be baptized Father. Don, based on your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.
Parker, and I'm here today to be baptized. Um, I grew up in a church-going family. Um, I knew God. I knew about God. I knew about Jesus, but I didn't know them. Um, about 13 years ago, I accepted Christ as my Savior, and um, for about two years after that, I kind of sat in that and didn't do much with it. Um, and then I realized that I needed to pursue him and to um, get in his word on a regular basis. And I started taking Bible studies and just reading on a daily, a daily basis. Um, I know it's important to be baptized because God tells us that we should. A year ago, my youngest son got baptized and I sat in the baptism class at Maranatha with him. And um, Bruce helped me to realize that um, it's the obedient part of it. I always thought I needed to be a better Christian before I stood in front of the congregation and, and uh, got baptized. But he helped me to realize through some of the things that he said that um, it's just important to obey God and what he asks us to do. So I would like to, um, to do that. I know he rose after he died. He rose for me on the cross. And um, I want to give my, my life to him. And I want to be baptized today. Based on your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm being baptized today. Um, I've been, I grew up in the church, and when I was eight, I uh, accepted Christ as my Savior. And at the time, I didn't really realize how important it really was to kind of just grow and develop in Him. Um, until just recently, I got out of a rough relationship, and uh, I just knew that he brought healing. So I really decided to grow closer with him and just realized that he died for me and took my sin away. And uh, yeah, that's why I'm being baptized. Based on your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. and I'm getting baptized today. Uh, I grew up in the church and I was I accepted Christ when I was younger. Um, I feel it's important to get baptized because Christ told us to get baptized like uh, Steve preached about last week. Um, and I just believe that God sent his one and only son Jesus to and save us from our sins and he died on the cross and rose three days after. So I feel it's really important to get baptized. Based on your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hi, my name is Molly Wright. Um, I grew up really blessed by parents who cared for my soul and encouraged me in my faith and took me to church with my sister and so when I was eight years old um, we were in a McDonald's drive-thru and I was just asking questions to my mom and she shared with me the story of Christ and I was saved and um, so I, I had a good life growing up I had an easy life um, the past several years God has been revealing himself to me more and sometimes more than I'd like because it reveals stuff about your soul as well and um, so I've been convicted about being baptized. And it's not that I never thought it was important. It was just that it was scary, and that was enough to stop me. And so I've just come to the realization that freedom is greater <laughs> than my fear. And um, First Peter talks about how um, baptism isn't the washing of dirt from your skin, but it's about pre being presented before God with a clear conscience. And that's such a beautiful and encouraging thing. And so. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and he was raised from the grave and is reigning today and so I want to be baptized. Based on your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.
to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mountain fixed upon it, mount of Father, Lord, we, we come to you this morning with thanksgiving as we make our, our requests known to you. Lord, we're just uh, in awe of how you've moved through the lives of these people who have stepped out in testimony and faith through baptism that they walk with you. So, Father, this day, a line in the sand has been drawn where they're saying, we want the world to know we belong to you. of the children would be turned to their fathers. God, that your people in Canton would be missionaries in the marketplace, and that the impact of your people could only be explained by the moving of your spirit. And Father, we pray for the leaders of Canton. We pray for Mayor Healy. We pray, Father, that you'd give him just a sense of your presence. May he, Father, desire to please you. May he lead in a way that's God-honoring and honorable. Lord, may you give him vision so that he could uh, bring about change and hope in a community. Uh, Father, we pray for their city council, for their 13 city council members. We ask, Father, that you would just uh, speak to their hearts, that you'd encourage them, that you'd challenge them and teach them, Lord, that they may walk with you and that they make a change in the city of Canton. Father, as well, we want to lift up to you the offering we're about to receive. We, play, we, we pray, Father, that you'd bless the offering and help those in need that are, that are hurting that this offering will uh, minister to. Uh, Lord, we ask that you'd bless the gift and the giver. In our time together, Lord, this morning, would you teach us? Would you encourage us? Would you challenge us to be the church and the followers of Christ that you would intend us to be?
It's good to have everybody here today. I hope that your heart was blessed by the baptisms. What did you think? We give praise to God. We give praise to God for the work that he's doing here at Mission View. Um, you realize when uh, you see baptisms in a public school that you can pretty much meet at church anywhere, right? I mean, we can do this. This is awesome. Today we're going to be taking a look at Matthew chapter 6. So if you open your Bibles there, in a moment I'll be getting to that passage. Last week we prayed for Jen Srail, uh, who is our missionary in Cambodia. Now, some of you know her pretty well, but some of you that are new to Mission View and didn't have a background in Maranatha, all you know of Jen Srail is that she's this like one by one little photo that you saw in the bulletin last week. So I wanted to let you know a little bit about one of our missionaries. Jen, first of all, was a co-worker of mine. We worked together for about 10 years at Maranatha Bible Church. And because she loved to disciple and come alongside of young ladies, she, uh, God moved her heart to go beyond that and to go to a foreign land, to Cambodia of all places, to be a missionary and to work for God there. So she's been over there 14 months learning the language. And so it's been an awesome thing. Now, it sounds pretty romantic, uh, a, a, a young missionary going out, proclaiming the gospel in a much needed land where they, it's dry uh, in terms of the gospel. I mean, they need to hear the word of God. But let me just tell you that there is a practical side of this as well, a breaking side that Jen has been going through. If you put yourself into her shoes, you'll realize that even though it's wonderful, there was, there's breaking that has been taking place. This young lady has gone out as a single young lady in her 30s. She's going to a place, she's gone to a place that she doesn't know too many people. She's out of the element of everything that is familiar to, familiar to her, and she is learning probably one of the most difficult languages in the world. They rank them one to five, and it is a four in difficulty. Five is the most difficult. She is also ministering amongst the people that have in their history where they have seen somewhere between one to three million of their people annihilated in the late 70s through Pol Pot's regime. And so you think about the scars that are associated, and for her to be there is quite an incredible experience. In her last newsletter, she wrote about this breaking process that she has been going through and this dependency that she has upon the Lord. And through a leadership class, she was given a task of making a, a pot or making some kind of object that would describe what she was going through. And so she made a pot, and she put all kinds of colors based on experiences and all kinds of words. And I want to read from her newsletter some of the things that she shared about a breaking process she's gone through. She says in her purpose statement, she says, I am, I am a broken vessel enjoying acceptance and grace from my unconditionally loving master so that he can shine his light and truth to the broken and enable us to know and grow in him. Now that's a mouthful. Think about what she said. She goes on and says in her letter, since I seriously started following Jesus many years ago, I have desired that Matthew 5.16 be true in me, which says this, let your light shine, so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. She goes on, as I've reflected on people and circumstances in my life, some of them have been painful, but many of them have been encouraging. In the last two years, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 6 and 7 have inspired me. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. 
she writes in her newsletter, what you see here is a clay pot. After I bought it, I painted it a variety of colors to represent the variety of experiences I have had. I broke the pot representing both my feelings and reality of brokenness before God. Realizing anything good that comes out of me must come from him. I not only want to experience him, but I want his light to shine so others will know him too. We're all broken and need a savior. This pot looks best when the lights are off. And the light inside it bursts and out of it pierces the darkness around us. Please pray for my purpose statement that it would be true of me every day. Friends, whether you realize it or not, we are in a parallel journey with Jen. And every one of us can say, you know what? There's a breaking process that God is taking me through. Now, there are some people that are in an accelerated plan. Anybody here in an accelerated plan of a breaking process? And I'll tell you, if you're not in a breaking process, you probably will be at some time in your life, especially if you have children. You will be broken along the way, or you have a job, or you have family where there's some dysfunction. And what God will do through that breaking process is he will help us to understand that although life might fall apart all around us, we have a God, a loving Father, a heavenly Father that desires to embrace us, hold us through the storm. He doesn't promise to take away the storm. He promises to hold us through the storm, and he will be there for us every step of the way. I know this personally because my wife and I, we believe we've been going through a breaking process. We've been going through a breaking process as we're dependent on the Lord for our own biological family and for this church family as well, that Christ be formed in each of us. That's what we desire. My friends, have you been broken before God? Today, we're going to be talking about being broken before God in this thing called the pursuit, our journey. So far, we have understood that we began that journey when we came into a relationship with Christ. And after we came into a relationship with Christ, we realized that we are to be followers and to be imitators of Jesus Christ in the way that we live our life. And in doing so, we realize there's certain things that God requires of us. Jesus requires that we be baptized. Why? That we might be associated with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. And if you've not been baptized, and this testimony has been an encouragement to you, and you realize it's not that scary, it's a celebration, I hope that you will do the next one, which will be after the first of the year. We also realize that we're to grow in God's word. We're allowed, uh, asking God to, to take and change us and help us to grow. We've also learned that we need to serve one another. We need to exercise the spiritual muscles, and we do that all within the context of this thing called the church, the brilliant, magnificent testimony to God of his intelligence, this thing called the church. But we do it as a people that are broken and dependent upon God. Today, as we go to our passage in Matthew 6, Jesus is teaching that very principle to his disciples on how they are to be broken. Now, we're going to be talking about prayer as that vehicle of being broken before God. And what Jesus is going to do, it's pretty simple. He's going to talk about what prayer is not. Then he will talk about what prayer is, what it is all about. And so let's first look at what prayer is not. Matthew chapter 6, take a look at verse 5. It says this, And when you pray, Jesus is talking to his disciples, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, underscore that word, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. 
Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, what Jesus is doing here is he is, before he teaches them what to do, he has to correct what was incorrectly taught to them by the religious leaders of their day. You see, the religious leaders, their names were Pharisees and Sadducees. Those religious leaders, they taught people that you just stand out in front of everyone and you make a spectacle and you show how righteous you are by your long and lengthy prayers. And what Jesus is saying is, don't be like those hypocrites. Now, that was a pretty strong statement to give to the religious leaders of that day, that they were hypocrites. The word hypocrite was a word used to describe an actor. It was somebody that was performing and they were being something that they were not. Now, what Jesus is doing is he's addressing the motive behind the prayer. Our motive when we pray is not for others to see us, to see how righteous we are. Our motive is that we want to draw near to God almost as if we were going into a room all by ourselves, and it's just God and I. Now, I don't believe that he's teaching that we can't pray publicly. I don't believe he does it. he's teaching that we can't pray in groups because the very first church in Acts 2, we see them doing that. They're publicly praying. They're praying together, but it wasn't so that others could see them. It was as if they were right with God intimately. Now, practically speaking, I want to be practical here on on how we pray. There's a couple things in regards to this that we can take home. First of all, God wants us to be ourselves. God wants us to be ourselves when we pray. I've talked to people who say, well, you know what? I just won't pray out loud. It's not that I don't want to be a show or anything. It's just that they're afraid because they're not as mature as other people and they're not going to say it right. Well, that's the wrong motive. I want you to know that's the wrong motive. God wants you to pray because it's just you and him. And it doesn't matter if you say it right. It doesn't matter. God wants you to do that. In a moment in the, uh, in the commons area, we're going to have a time of praise. I don't care if you can talk like me or talk like Brian or talk like somebody else. It doesn't matter. But it's okay for you to give praise, and you're going to have an opportunity to do that in a few moments out in the commons. I hope you will. Another thing about this is that in being ourselves, just talk to God. Talk to him like we would talk to each other. I know some people, all of a sudden, when they're talking to God, they kind of get into this kind of spiritual high-mindedness. It's, oh, gracious and kind, benevolent Father. What's that? That's not you? That's not how you talk? We're talking about a Father that we have relationship with. Here's the other thing that Jesus was teaching here on what not to do. He says, don't use a lot of words. Take a look at verse 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, I believe that Jesus is also associating the religious leaders like the, 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 like the, the Gentiles who had a problem of filibustering God. Okay, they, they had this problem of using these, uh, the uh, religious leaders thought many words is what's going to do it. And he says here, no, 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 don't keep on babbling. That's what it says in the NIV or in the ESV. Don't heap up empty phrases. What he wants is for these things to happen. And this is an application for you and I. Number one, he wants prayer to be from the heart. My friends, it's always from the heart. It comes from the deep core of what's going on inside of us. That's what God wants in our prayers. And second, we need to realize that prayer is connected to the omniscient. Notice what he says. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Since God is sovereign, my friend, and he knows what we need, we don't have to filibuster God. 
All we got to do is talk to him and share what we, what's on our heart. More words doesn't impress God. It doesn't educate God. It doesn't help God. All prayer is doing is it's helping us express our heart to God, and he knows what we're praying. He knows what's going on inside of us. Now, in a moment, we're going to transition to what prayer is, and Jesus is going to give the proper model of that prayer. Now, let's take a look at what Jesus said prayer is all about. Taking a look at the, the Lord's Prayer here in Matthew chapter 6. Now, as we do this, I want to, there's six things that I'm going to point out what prayer is all about. But as we do this, I want you to think about it for your own life. And at the end of the service, I like being practical. We're going to have a prayer time where as a family, we can pray for each other's needs. And we'll have some leaders up front and we'll have some leaders in back. If you can pray with someone beside you or you can come up and pray. But as I go through these points, ask yourself, is there an area that this is identifying that I need to pray about? The first thing that we learn in verse 9 is when Jesus says this, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. The first thing that we see from this phrase is that prayer is all about worship. It's worshiping the one that is in heaven, our Father. It's telling us that there is a relational intimacy that Christ followers have that's unique to Christ followers. Now, I know in, there is a general sense where God is the Father of all creation. We're told in Acts 17, 28 this, for, uh, for we are indeed his offspring, talking about God as the creator. But in this passage, it's not used as a general God of all creation, even to those that are lost. He is talking specifically of those that have a relationship because of the word that's used for father. The word in the original language is Abba, meaning daddy. There's an intimacy that he has here that, that a believer can have, only a believer. Now, it begs us to ask the question, is the Father, is God my dad? Is God my dad? Do I have that kind of relationship? And my friends, if you haven't had this transformation where you've asked Christ to completely take over your life, that you've surrendered yourself and said, take my sin, take all the ugliness about me, and I'm asking that you would take and cleanse me and make me brand new, lift me out of the waters of this life and help me to be a new person in you. You can have that relationship by simply saying, God, I surrender, by going to him in prayer. That's what God desires that we would do. Now, what we learn here is in this worship, there's a couple practical application points that we have. Number one is that we have unlimited access. My friends, do you realize God is on a 24-hour, 24-7 hotline? You can talk to God anytime. That's what we've been told in Hebrews 4, verse 16, where he says that we can go before him at any time of our need. We're also told in 1 Thessalonians 5 that we are to pray continuously. I love the example of Nehemiah. Nehemiah has his heart burdened to go build, rebuild the walls in Jerusalem, and he's in Babylon, and he goes before the king, and he has to make this request, and he knows his life could be on the line. As the king says, okay, the king says, come, what, what, what is your request? And the passage says in Nehemiah 2.4, so I prayed to the God of heaven, and then he gave his request. It was like this quick prayer just before he approached a king. Have you ever done that? Now, I know some of you have done that before you took a test, okay? Oh, Lord, help me remember what I didn't really study. I don't know how effective that prayer is, but it's, it's a good example, okay? We can pray at any time. Another thing that we learn here in this worship is that it's two-way communication. It's a father wanting to talk to his child. Do you realize that God wants two-way communication? Sometimes I'll sit down in the counseling room and I'll sit across with a couple and I'll say, tell me about your walk with God. 
And this is usually the answer. It's very typical. Oh, you know, my walk with God is pretty decent. Um, I don't really spend a whole lot of time in God's word, but I, I, I pray. I pray on my way to work. I pray, you know, when my boss is bothering me and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think it's pretty decent. I want you to know that God did not design this thing as a one-way communication deal. He designed it to be a two-way communication. And he wants to communicate to us through his word, and we get to communicate to him through prayer. Now, just to test this, I want you to try out one-way communication in your relationship with your significant other. Just for a week, allow your wife just to talk to you, but offer no words back for an entire week. How would that go for you guys? For the Marshall household, it wouldn't get past the first day. I want you to know. It doesn't work with God either. The third thing we learn from this practically is that in my worship, we get to enjoy the benefits of God being our dad. How many of you were, had a storm when you were a kid and you were just frightened? I can remember certain things that scared me, but then there was a little thought that entered into my mind. This is when I was a real small kid. Oh, dad's home. My dad's home. And my dad's Superman. He's still Superman. He's right out here. And he was Superman to me, and it gave me a sense of security and peace. And my friends, this is exactly what a relationship with God will do for us, is that our Heavenly Father gives us this sense of peace and security when the storms are swirling around us and there's all kinds of trouble in our life. He's the one that embraces us. He's the one that says, don't worry, I got you. I have you. And all of a sudden, the worries and the stress and the anxiety melts away. Here's the second thing we learn of what prayer is from this, this uh, example that Jesus gives. We learn that prayer is reverence. Notice what he says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. This phrase brings a balance to God being our Father and, and God being our God, our Father. So sometimes we like to bring God down on such a human level that we'll say, I've heard people over the years say, oh, the man upstairs, or hey, JC's in the house, or, you know, there's you know, the, the big man. And it's kind of man's attempt to just bring God on a human level. Don't do that. Don't do that. Because it says, hallowed. Hallowed be his name. The word hallowed means to make holy. Now think about this. There is nothing that we can do that could add to the infinite holiness of God. There's nothing that we can do. But what we can do is we can recognize that holiness that already exists by the way that, one, we approach God, and two, the way that we live out our lives. We'll recognize, we'll attribute to the holiness of God. What do I mean by the way we approach God? Well, in the scriptures, we're told of how we should approach God. Listen to this in Ecclesiastes 5. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know what they are, do, uh, what they are doing is evil. Not be rash with their mouth, nor let your hearts be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. My friends, when we draw near to God, we're not here to text people. We're not here to, to uh, talk to our neighbor. We're not here to do anything but to give praise and honor to God and to draw all attention to him. We're also told on how our posture should be before God. 1 Timothy 2 says this, I desire then that in every place that men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. If our hands, men, 
If our hands have been set to doing the things of God throughout the week, then please know that you are free to lift up holy hands. Now, I don't think this prohibits women either, but it's setting men as leaders for us to man up, for us to be the man of God that we are to be, to be a spiritual leader, for us to lift our hands and say, I surrender completely to you, God. It's all yours. I'm yours. And I will set that example. How about Psalm 95? It says this, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. My friends, we're allowed to kneel before God. We're allowed to bow down before God. Now, this is where it's different than human relationships. If you and I are talking in the commons and all of a sudden you bow down to me, that's weird. Don't do it. I'm just a person. But this is where God is uniquely different in that he is infinitely holy. And what we can do is attribute to his holiness in how we approach him. But we can also attribute to his holiness in the way that we live out our life. My friends, every single day, we are to live out our life with a God consciousness that we are aware of whatever we do, it's reflective on God. And we realize that we're going to be held accountable someday for the way that we live our life. So therefore, when it comes to cheating, I'm not going to cheat. When it comes to looking at something I shouldn't look at, I'm not going to look. I'm going to pull back. I'm going to stand up. I am going to be the person of God that I need to be. We're told this in 2 Corinthians, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is talking about believers now. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. My friends, we will give an account on how we live this life. Hallowed be your name. Are we praying in reverence? The third thing that we learn in this prayer is that it's about God's will. Notice what he says in verse 10. Your kingdom come, your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, the key word here is kingdom. Jesus came to begin a kingdom that is continuing on to this day in this thing called the church age. and will continue until Jesus returns back to the earth. And this kingdom work is happening. And the word kingdom literally means God's sovereign rule over. Now, what has happened is God has said, Jesus, you're anointed over this sovereign rule of this king called the kingdom work that's going here on earth. Jesus is our king. That's why we call him Lord. That's why we call him Savior. We call him King Jesus because he's the one that we subject ourselves to in the kingdom work. But notice what he says. When we pray, we pray that your will be done. You know what I find in my prayers? I'm just being honest. I often pray that my will be done. And I'm praying for my family. I'm praying for my job. I'm praying for my wants long before I pray for God's will to be done. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for your job or your family or your wants, but it's giving us the priority that we are to pray that God's kingdom work would be done here on earth as it is in heaven, that it would reflect the heart of God in heaven. When you came in, I, we had this little prayer guide that is given to every single person. This is the practical application. This is the kingdom work that Mission View is a part of. And you will see in this prayer guide, and Sarah Mass did a phenomenal job putting this together. Each day we broke it down for different people, missionaries that we have and pictures of them and a little bit about them and leaders in our church that we want you to pray for. This is a part of the kingdom work. And so if we're going to pray that God's kingdom come and his will be done, I want to encourage you, if you didn't get one of these, they'll be at the Welcome Center. Please grab one and make that kind of prayer your priority. The fourth thing we learn is in verse 11. He says, give us this day our daily bread. This is uh, what we learn here is that prayer is asking. It's okay for us to ask for our personal needs. But please note that there is a responsibility associated with uh, the personal needs that have been uh, given to us. 
Let's understand what it's saying here. The word bread is not just representing food, but it represents or symbolic of the physical needs that man has. Now, the beautiful thing is that God wants to provide for his children the physical things that they need. Why? So that they can carry out the will of God, the work of God while they're here on earth. God's not going to ask us to be a part of his mission and not supply what we need. And so that's exactly what he wants to do. He wants to supply our bread. He wants to supply for our needs. Now, please understand there's a safety mechanism built into the body of Christ as well. And that safety mechanism is if my brother or sister is without food or without clothing, guess what? God wants the church to rise up to meet that need. Think of what James says. James says, what good is it, brother, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says, go, be, go in peace, be warm and be filled, and does not provide what is necessary for the body, what use is that? That's one of the reasons why we're encouraging people to combine and help out with this community outreach to feed people during the holiday season. But please realize it's not just during a holiday season. You're going to see a lot of applications throughout the year of ways that we got to come alongside, especially brothers and sisters in the Lord. The fifth thing we learn is in verse 12. That prayer is about spiritual restoration. And it says this, And forgive us our debts as we, have, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now what's interesting about this verse is that it assumes that you and I are going to forgive each other. Why? Because God has forgiven us. It would be hypocritical for God to do an abundant amount of forgiving in our life. Anybody had an abundant amount of forgiving in their life that God has done? Absolutely. And it would be hypocritical for us to turn around and not be willing to forgive those around us. I'm not saying that forgiveness isn't a process. Sometimes there are deep grievances. And I want you to know there's a forgiveness process with God as well. And sometimes on a human relationship, we have to work at this. Interesting, as a postscript to this prayer, look at verse 14. Jesus says this, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, the word forgive means to hurl away, to hurl away. And Jesus' point is this, just as God has hurled away our major offenses, we need to hurl away our minor offenses against our brothers. And if we can't forgive others, then we will be blinded to the forgiveness of the Father. We won't understand it completely. Again, the reason for spiritual restoration between believers in God and believers with one another is so that God's will could be done on earth. He wants us to have whole relationships with one another, and so he wants us to work through that process. But I'm afraid that there are many Christians that are invalids in regards to forgiveness because we cannot forgive those around us. You need to begin that process. How do you begin? Start by talking to God. And if you need, talk to a counselor. Talk to somebody that you respect. Talk to your community group leader. We will help each other. It is a process. Now, the final thing we learn in this prayer is that it's about protection. Prayer is about our protection. Take a look at verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, the last part of this prayer is the reality that you and I live in every single day. The fact is, we have an enemy that wants us to fail. And believe me, he has all kinds of evil, all kinds of vices, all kinds of tricks that he will use to try to draw us away, to tempt us into... Uh, to 
render us ineffective in God's army in what God wants to do in each of our lives. I believe that this was so heavy on Jesus' heart that God would protect his disciples both then and now that he prayed this in John 17, his high priestly prayer before he went to the cross. He says, I, don't, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. God, I know they're going to, Father, I know they're going to be in the world. I know they're going to be surrounded with evil. But what I do is I ask that you would keep them from the evil one. The word keep here means to protect, to, to hem in, to put your arms around. Let me ask you something. Do you need God to protect you? Do you need God to protect your marriage? Do you need God to protect your family? We are to draw near to God. My friends, the quickest way for, uh, for a believer to be sidelined from the work and the will of God is for us to fall into temptation. We've seen way too many pastors that have fallen to temptations due to moral failure. We have seen too many couples be halted due to moral failure in their marriages. We have seen too many teenagers that have been halted in their witness at school because they have fell into the trappings of peer pressure. We have seen too many seasoned believers halted in their witness for God because of unwise decisions. My friends, we are going to make blunders. And God says, draw near to me. Draw near to me. And here's the beautiful thing about God. When we mess up, when we make that mistake, when we do something even grievous before God, God says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My friends, I don't understand that kind of love, but I certainly have benefited from it. And my friends, that's how wholeness happens because God is willing to forgive us. So we've looked at this prayer. Here's the question. What do you need to pray about today? The fact is that each and every one of us have this appearance about us. We look pretty good on Sunday. You clean up really nice. You look good. But I want you to know, and I think we realize this, there are things that are deep-seated and stirring in our hearts. And that's why we need the church. That's why we need family. As we sing this last song, you can reflect on the words but here's what I want you to do. If, if there is something in your heart that you want to rejoice about, then I want you to go and rejoice. Let it be known to somebody else. If there is something that you are grieving about, then let that be known. You can let it, you can let it be known all by yourself. But let's be family today. Let's turn this auditorium into a family room. And as I have my leaders come and stand here, I'm going to have Sean and Jamie here. Lee and I will be over here. Brian and Brooke will be over here. And Bill and Phyllis will be back here. We're here just to pray with you. And so we're going to all stand. And as we stand, I want you to think. And, and just you know, kindly excuse yourself if you would like to just to pray with somebody. Then I would like for us to do family business. Go ahead and stand right now. And if, if you would rather just pray with the person next to you, you can do that. There's no pressure. But sometimes God has us take a little step out in the aisle for there to be a greater reality with each and every one of us. So let's take this last song and let's pray together. life's changed. We've seen uh, the word of God proclaimed, and we've gotten practical things that we need to do, and we've gotten a chance to pray together. This thing called the church is beautiful. It's the magnificence of God. I want to invite every single person to come and join us in the commons. Some of you are going to say, oh, I didn't bring a casserole. I didn't bring something. Believe me, we got tons of food. 
We got uh, the Dumas came to the rescue, donated four turkeys and two hams. We got lots of carcass. So uh, there's no problem with that. We got plates, we got, we got all kinds of good stuff. Now, here's what's gonna happen. We're not, the kids can stay in the nursery at this point or in their ch children, child care. All, the only thing that's gonna change is what we're gonna do is we're gonna go to the commons. You get your coffee, because I know some of you have the shakes right now, so you can get your coffee and then everybody have a seat. And we're going to have about a 30-minute praise time. It might go a little bit longer than that. And then about quarter till 12, we're going to dismiss you to go get your kids and bring them back. And we will have a feast together like none other. It's good to bring a little bit of the South up here, right? Yeah. Uh, we like potlucks, you can tell. Okay, so um, one announcement is normally the high schoolers go to the uh, library. We felt that it was so important that we do this praise time as a family that we wanted the, the junior high and high school to stay in the auditorium. They can sit with their families or sit with their friends, but uh, we're going to have a time in there. So we're going to try to get started at quarter after 11. So you got about 25 minutes to get your coffee, to talk with one another, get your seat at a table, and then we'll begin our praise time. And this is kind of a state of the church as well. Our, our elder Randy is going to be a spokesman for the elders, share some of the things that are on his heart and where we're at as a church. And then we'll also hear from different staff. Good morning and keep your mission in view.